Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hi friends, thank you for tuning in to Hopefully Sustainable. I have an amazing guest on the show today and I'm so excited for you all to get to know her. I first met Nancy when I was a freshman at the University of Georgia and she served as a true inspiration and mentor to me over the next three years. She founded a nonprofit called Athens Land Trust about 26 years ago and what started out as a mission to conserve land turned into so much more. I am honored to have Nancy Stengel join me today and really share the entire narrative of how the Land Trust was founded and all that it has accomplished to date. I hope you all enjoy the show and let's dive in. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you for joining us today. And I'm excited for everyone to learn about your story and hear about the Athens Land Trust. So first, can you kind of tell everyone who you are and a little bit of your background? So yes, well in 1994, when I started the Land Trust, I was a small business owner and a mom with two daughters, age nine and six. And I had been a social worker, a high school teacher, and an international student advisor at the University of Georgia. And as a parent, I wanted to live in a place where my kids had access to open space and woods and where I knew my neighbors. And because when I was growing up, I was always climbing the big tree next door or playing in the woods. And the neighborhood kids all played outside or rode bikes every day until dark. And we could go from one family's house to another on our own. So my husband and I were part of a group of young families who were looking for land and following a co-housing model where people have their own living space but share resources and form a community. And there are several of these in Atlanta and I've heard they're really popular. But for several years we looked at tracts of land and couldn't find what we felt was the right place. My husband and I were already buying an 18 acre tract but it was too small for the group. But in 1993, the 132-acre farm next to our 18 acres came for sale. And we considered this tract to be about three times bigger than what we needed for the group. But that summer, I decided that we just needed to try and buy the land. It's four miles outside of Athens, near the Middle Oconee River, and it was an old farm owned by the same family since the early 1800s. So I talked with the owner and the bank, and my husband and I put a contract on the property. And around that time, I met Skipper Steitmoss, a young attorney who was also interested in the vision of an inclusive community of people who endeavor to live lightly on the earth. So Skipper and I worked together to establish our neighborhood, and we learned a lot about development. As I said, I was a former high school teacher and counselor, um, and we didn't know anything about development. But we did know that we wanted to protect the area that had two springs and creeks and steep slopes and old growth forests and rock outcroppings. It was really beautiful land. 
and we wanted to place the houses where they would have the least negative impact on the on the land. So we had to push back on the county ordinances so often that they called us the undevelopers. And we were really proud of that. And we didn't really want to be called developers anyway, but we wanted to make it affordable for anyone who wanted to live there. So we bartered and we sold lots at cost. And there were several families who invested before any lots were determined just because they also believed in the vision. Mm. So you had this vision for yourself and you wanted to allow other people to have access to that vision as well. So how did you take that idea for your own personal life and turn it into a nonprofit? Well, um, to me, it was uh, kind of fate or luck uh, that had something to do with that. Starting a nonprofit was not something we planned or wanted to do. We resisted the idea. I mean, it wasn't even uh, something we thought we would do. But what happened was that uh, our design included 39 acres of open space, about a third of our property. Normally, developers don't live on the land they are developing, and this was going to be our home, our neighborhood. So some of the open space was planned for a community garden, a playing field, and just an open meadow. But we knew we wanted to permanently protect the open space that was to be left natural what I mentioned, the, the beautiful um, forest and creek and rock outcroppings. So we contacted the local conservation land trust and they were focused on river corridors and they said they would accept a conservation easement on part of our land, but not the old field with our hundred year old oak and not our neighborhood open space. So we were disappointed and not sure what to do about that. But about that time, I was in Atlanta visiting friends, and I took my children to the zoo. And on the way back to our friend's house, my car broke down. And that, this was before I had a cell phone, and a woman came out of her house and let me use her phone to call a tow truck. While we were waiting, she told me proudly that she owned her home, and she would never have been able to own a home in Atlanta without the help of an organization that she mentioned. And I was really touched by this and, and had an impact. This had an impact on me. She had to leave and she suggested that I go in the office of this organization if I needed to use the phone again. I needed to call my friends, so I went inside and asked to use the phone. And I called them and she said to me, I know them. So she offered to take my daughters and me to her house until my friends could come pick us up. And while we were in the office, I noticed blueprints all over the place. And so I asked her what she did. And, and she said, uh, we're a community land trust. And I was familiar with conservation land trust, but this was something new to me. She explained that community land trusts hold land for community use, such as affordable housing. And they were building new infill homes like the one the woman had purchased and were rehabbing the historic buildings in the neighborhood. So this encounter made me aware that both of these kinds of land trusts had important tools to address community needs, just like the ones we were dealing with in our neighborhood how to protect the natural areas, and how to make housing affordable. And I also realized that every community has these same issues. 
And in Athens Clark County, we're we're the smallest county in area in the state, and land use is is a big deal here. So Skipper and I reluctantly decided that maybe we did need to start a new land trust that addressed both land conservation and affordable housing. And we incorporated in December 1994. And most land trusts focus on one or the other, but it made sense to us to look more holistically. What are the natural resources that need to be protected? And where do you provide affordable housing and grow food? Wow, so this was kind of a revolutionary idea at the time, having a land trust that dealt with all different issues, not just land conservation. So to kind of paint a picture for everyone, at this time in 1994, what was going on at that time in your community and in Athens that you realized this was something that would be really beneficial for the community? Athens was really changing at the time. Um, the University of Georgia was growing rapidly due to the Hope Scholarship and housing was becoming much more expensive. They didn't even have enough housing for freshmen to live on campus, so students had to live off campus and have cars. And we were having air pollution problems for the first time. We didn't have any ordinances at that time to protect tree canopy or provide buffers for our rivers and streams and sprawl was eating up all the valuable farmland in the area. Georgia was actually ranked third in the country in loss of farmland to development, even though agriculture was the largest part of the state's economy. We also didn't have a high home ownership rate. Only about 40% of the people in Athens owned their homes as compared to 63% nationally. And about this time, I learned that people who rent their entire lifetimes generally pay three times more than a homeowner does for their housing, because a homeowner can eventually stop paying. The reason people couldn't become homeowners was often due to institutional racism that had led to redlining and other discriminatory practices. I also learned that the first community land trust in the U.S. was established in southwest Georgia in the 1960s, and it was created to give access to land to black farmers, many of whom were sharecroppers at the time. It's an amazing story. It was started by Reverend Charles Sherrod and his wife Shirley, and Reverend Sherrod was a young man in the area to register black farmers to vote, and he realized that after he went to visit the home of a family who were sharecroppers, that the family would often be kicked out of their housing and without any work, especially if they chose to register to vote or come to one of the meetings about it. So he realized that land was the source of their shelter and livelihood, and owning land was critical to survival and power. So a group of about 500 people invested in a 5,000 acre tract they called Nuke Communities, and they farmed the land and sold their produce. At the time, the property was the largest black owned tract of land in the country. They owned it together, and for the first time, they were able to make their own decisions about what they planted and how they managed the land. They experienced life-threatening attacks and much opposition and discrimination. They planned to build housing on the land, but the financing was blocked and discrimination and drought led to foreclosure of the land. So from the beginning, Athens Land Trust focused on land use decisions that provided access to land for people who hadn't had it or had been denied it. 
and that protected natural resources for everyone. Sustainability, believe it or not, was a new term back then, but we saw it as addressing the environmental, social, and economic aspects of sustainability because they're all interconnected and interdependent. And we've always had a broad vision of a healthy and equitable community, and I'm proud of that. And I think that's the important thing for people to realize about sustainability is that we're trying to make the world a sustainable place for everybody. This isn't just for a certain group of people. This is for everyone. So it does have to address the environment and the economy and the social aspect. So I think for a lot of people listening, they might have an idea of their own that they want to pursue in you are a great example of having this idea and really taking it to the next level. So for anyone out there who has an idea like yourself, how did you get the courage to just go for it and take this to the next level and start a nonprofit? Well, I have to say that my car breaking down got my attention. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I think it put me in a place to meet a person that could introduce me to community land trust and to hear and see firsthand the impact of that. But I believe that if I can start a nonprofit, anyone can. I think that Skipper and I made a great team. Uh, We both had a great deal of passion for social justice and strong connections to land. And I think the experience of creating our neighborhood also gave us some experience that was invaluable. Uh, we saw what, what we were dealing with, uh, with land use decisions. But I would also just have to say that I felt called to do it. And I'm very, very grateful that there were people in the community that embraced this vision from the beginning. And without them, I know we wouldn't still be in existence 25, 26 years later. Uh, there were people that, um, that, that got the holistic nature of what we were trying to do and, and supported us with donations, donations of money, donations of land. Um, it was critical to our success. And I don't know about you, but I really believe that everything happens for a reason and people are placed in your path for a reason. And it really sounds like that was true in your case. So while you had this community of people supporting you, I want to know, did you experience any doubts from people? I know Athens Land Trust, as you mentioned earlier, was one of just a few organizations in the country at that time that was focused on community and conservation. Yes, and as far as I know, we're still one of the only land trusts in the country that does both. We did get a lot of questions about why, and you know, people felt like these were two very different things, but we just thought, how can you not address both of these things? They are both extremely important, and they both have to do with land. So we would explain that to people, that these are both needs of the community that are essential to health and quality of life and they both need to be addressed at the same time kind of like what you were saying earlier that you can't work on one area of sustainability and leave out another but in many communities and at times in ours um, these two goals seem to be in conflict 
When we started in the mid-90s, Athens was working on a 20-year land use plan to direct our future growth. Everyone was really scared about being swallowed up in the sprawl of Atlanta. Because Gwinnett County at that time was one of the fastest growing counties in the U.S. And this growth was literally heading in our direction. So much had changed in the last 20 years in Athens that people were very concerned. So to address this, a green belt was proposed to limit the development and preserve the remaining farmland and open space that was on the outer edges of the county. Developers argued that this would make housing more expensive and we already had a shortage of affordable housing. But we were able to explain that affordable housing needs to be in town, close to services and with access to public transportation. There were a lot of studies at that time, even some at the University of Georgia, showing that sprawl type development didn't pay for itself. The property taxes weren't enough to pay for the additional schools, water, sewer, and public safety, not to mention the environmental cost of increased traffic, stormwater, and tree canopy. So for the first three years, we mainly did education and we were an all volunteer organization. We were promoting land use practices that were less impactful on the land uh, that we had learned about through our process of doing our own neighborhood. We were part of a coalition of groups that were passionate about growing in a more sustainable way. And we were able to provide the legal tools for addressing these issues by conserving land and providing affordable housing in perpetuity. And in 1997, three years after we started, we received our first conservation easement donation, our first donation of a lot for affordable housing, and our first grant to hire staff. And we were very excited to finally be able to show people what we've been talking about. So to kind of go into the more specific aspects of the land trust, can you explain the importance of land conservation and why we need land trusts? Sure, sure. Well, protecting forests, river corridors, wetlands, floodplains, and farmlands all have really important environmental benefit. And there are too many to name, but just to name a few, sequestering carbon, reducing heat, supporting wildlife, filtering stormwater runoff, reducing flooding and erosion, and maintaining our healthy soils. These are critical to our survival. And we're seeing this more and more every day, or at least I hope people are realizing it more and more every day. So to protect land, the main tool we use is a conservation easement, which is a legal restriction on development placed voluntarily on a piece of property by the current owner. So the person decides that he or she wants their property to remain undeveloped for the benefit of their children, grandchildren, and future generations. So the owner places a conservation easement on the property that says what can and can't be done in the future. The easement stays in force even if the land changes hands. It never goes away and the property is protected permanently. So the land trust role is to enforce this if a future landowner decides not to abide by the restrictions. And in addition to working with private landowners, we've been instrumental in increasing public green space and improving our lo local ordinances. 
we sponsored an application in 2005 for a special local option sales tax program, or SPLOST as we call it, that was going to be put before the voters. And these programs are where a penny sales tax is added by the county for special capital projects. So we suggested creating a program for green infrastructure to protect the corridors of the rivers that run through our town, wetlands to filter runoff, floodplains to improve water quality, and tree canopy to improve air quality. And protecting these is so much more cost effective than building engineered solutions. So this was approved by the voters and was adapted into a green space acquisition program for the county. It's been continued in each subsequent SPLOST and the program has provided funding for protecting farmland, purchasing floodplains, wetlands, and more than 400 acres of green space along the North Oconee and Middle Oconee rivers. So you focused on land conservation and affordable housing. What was the connection between those two things? Well, as we've been saying, um, and to us, sustainable development includes the social and economic aspects in addition to the environmental. And a community must have affordable housing to be healthy. Um, and it's important for it to be well-located and permanently affordable so that we're not just pushing the problem into the future. To do this, we use a ground lease. Properties that have been considered affordable become rental properties after a few years. And so they're no longer affordable. And that's happened many times in our community because of the university and the pressure for rental housing. But like in the example of new communities, the organization itself actually owns the land and sells the home to a family or individual. The person is a homeowner and has a 99-year ground lease that can be renewed and passed on to their children. The ground lease says that if the homeowner wants to sell their house though, he or she must sell it back to the land trust so it can be sold to another family who meets the income guidelines. And we use the HUD guidelines for a family making less than 80% of area median income. And in Athens, that limit is $51,800 for a family of four. So as a result, this house will never become investment property and will always be there to make homeownership a reality for someone who wants it. It was also important to us because of our environmental background that our affordable housing be located in town, close to services, and as energy efficient as possible. The first lot that we were donated was in a historically African-American neighborhood about six blocks from City Hall. The neighborhood was one of two in-town black neighborhoods that have high poverty rates and are under great pressure for gentrification because of the proximity to the university. Because of the location of the lot, we received a capacity building grant from the county. This was another stroke of luck. The director at the time was familiar with Community Land Trust and supported the concept. And we were given a construction loan by a local community bank and built a house using a design that was compatible with the historic houses in the neighborhood. We constructed it to Earthcraft Standards, which is a green building certification program developed by South Pace Energy Institute. And at that time, most developers, particularly affordable housing developers, 
we're balking at spending the upfront cost toward energy efficiency and healthy homes, and especially the cost of certification. Athens Land Trust took the stance that we, of all people, should make our housing energy efficient and healthy as possible for the benefit and success of the future residents. Lower utility bills and fewer medical costs made a huge impact on our future homeowners. One of our families had a son with asthma and they were having to make numerous trips in the night to the ER until they moved into their newly renovated home that was they bought from the land trust. After they moved in, the trips to the ER mostly ended. Another homeowner told us that she didn't think Georgia Power knew she was living in her home because her electricity bill was so low. So after this, um, we bought two houses that were on a street known for drug activity and investors weren't interested in them. We rehabilitated these homes and several others that were in terrible shape. People told us we were crazy. In one of them, when you walked in the front door, you could see out the back, through the floor to the ground, and even the sky through a hole in the roof. This house at one time had been the nicest home on the street and it was important to the cultural fabric of the neighborhood. Tearing it down would have been easiest, but not the best for the community. So we saw historic preservation as important in several ways, culturally, but also environmentally. It seemed to us like the ultimate in recycling. And as a result, we began doing rehab as well as new construction, mostly in this historic African-American neighborhood. We filled a niche because none of the other affordable housing providers wanted to do it. And we were learning as we were going. We were also listening to the needs of the community. And as a community land trust, at least one third of our board of directors or homeowners or people representing the low to moderate income people we're building housing for. This helps us to be doing what people tell us they need. And I can't emphasize this enough. Um, I think it's very important for people's voices to be heard and for the people who are homeowners to be able to make decisions and, and be in the, the decision-making capacity of the organization that owns the land under their homes. But we also responded to events that happened in the community. In the early 2000s, a large mobile home park close to downtown was sold to become luxury student housing. And when I was a foreign student advisor at UGA, there was no such thing as luxury student housing, but we had it by this time in Athens. There were hundreds of mobile homes and nowhere for them to go. The residents owned the mobile homes, but there were not places for them to move them to. So helping these families showed us that affordable rental housing was also a serious issue in Athens. And this led us to building an apartment community with 120 units with 96 apartments for people making less than 50% of area median income and where more than three, 370 people live now. We also began financial literacy and homebuyer education classes and provided credit counseling so that more people could be able to purchase homes. So I just think it's amazing how many different aspects of life that you were reaching into. You were helping the community and people even saw 
solutions to their health problems just from being able to own their own house and have access to a healthy living space, which, in my opinion, everyone deserves access to their own home and their own healthy living space in their own communities. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And it, it just shows how much everything is interconnected. Yes, definitely. So now Athens Land Trust has expanded into land conservation and affordable housing, but you guys weren't done just yet. <laughs> you also wanted to expand into community agriculture. Can you talk about how that became the third main facet of Athens Land Trust? Well, a big part of our land conservation program was working with farmers, and we were very active in farmland protection in the region. In the counties around Athens, agriculture is very important. And at the time, there was a federal program to compensate farmers who permanently preserved their farms, and almost none of that money had come to Georgia. So in Oconee County, which borders our county, the schools were excellent, and there was a great deal of residential development of farmland, which is considered prime based on the soils. And prime farmland is also really prized by developers. So a lot of this great farmland was being rezoned month after month for residential development about this time in the early 2000s. So we worked with farmers in Oconee County to get some of that funding accessing millions of dollars from the federal, state, and local government to protect eight family farms. And then the protected farms in the other counties around Athens, along with these in Oconee, will be able to provide a food source in the future in perpetuity. But we'd also seen the transformative power of a community garden. There was a vacant lot uh, in a neighborhood where we were doing affordable housing. And on this vacant lot, drug deals were taking place. The longtime residents were afraid to go outside of their houses. And we helped to establish a community garden on the vacant lot, and the drugs went away. I heard the neighbors talk about it later, and one of them said that he loved the flowers and he loved the vegetables. But what was really important was having the community garden had given them their neighborhood back. So we were already doing work in the area of community agriculture as part of our land conservation and neighborhood revitalization work. And it was really a natural progression. Growing food is another use of land that's very important to people's health and economic security. Plus, the more food that can be grown locally, the better for the environment. I mean, how we grow food is a huge environmental issue and access to healthy food is a major social justice issue. So it seemed like a bridge between our two programs. And access to healthy and affordable food is an issue that's really important to me. And it's really become a major part of sustainability right now with a focus on food deserts. And for any listeners who have never heard of a food desert or don't know exactly what that is, the U.S. Department of Agriculture considers a food desert an area with no ready access to a store with fresh and nutritious food options within one mile in an urban area and within 10 miles in a rural area. So could you talk about what food deserts in Athens look like specifically? Yes, and we realized um, that we do have 
a great deal of areas that are in food deserts in our community, several of the census tracts, and even this in-town neighborhood where we were working, the West Broad neighborhood, it's technically a food desert, even though it has a grocery store within one mile, but even a mile is too far for a person to walk and carry home their groceries, particularly crossing a six lane highway to get there. So we, um, we learned about this following the 2000 census when our community uh, statistics showed that we had a poverty rate of over 33%, which is one of the highest in the country for cities of our size. So a community-wide initiative was started to look at this problem and to figure out what could be done. So Athens Land Trust was of course part of this. We were already addressing generational poverty through home ownership, which I'll digress for a minute, is one of the best ways for a family to gain assets that they can pass on to their children. And most of our homeowners were the first in their families to ever own a home. And studies show that children of homeowners are more likely to finish high school and attend college because of the stability of not having to move around and having a, a stable place to live. But during these discussions, food insecurity and food deserts arose as a major issue in our community for the first time. And I have to admit that I wasn't even familiar with those terms in 2008. The group that was working on food insecurity was headed up by a UGA horticulture professor who was a big supporter of community gardens. He was always helping schools or neighborhoods establish gardens and he even had his students volunteering in these gardens for service learning credit. He had put together a coalition of groups and was writing a grant to USDA to establish a network of community gardens where people could grow their own food and sell any extra if they had extra. And people who live in mobile home parks or apartments don't have access to land to grow their own food. He envisioned a network where people could share resources and technical support to grow food for themselves and others. And I love the quote by Ron Finley that, that, who says, um, growing your own food is like printing your own money. It's very empowering. Mm, I love that. So this group came to us to submit the grant to U USDA and we were awarded the grant late in 2010 which led to a network of community gardens and the West Broad Garden and Market. After we got the grant, we found out that the zoning in our county did not allow for urban agriculture and selling food from a community garden was not possible. So it was suggested to us that we ask the school district if we could use some of their property for a market garden since they were not subject to county zoning. Well, the West Broad School was located in the neighborhood where we had been doing affordable housing for years. It's on the main street of Athens, which is the highway to Atlanta, but was not in use and the school district had no plans for it. We asked if we could use the playground for a market garden and they were glad to see the site being used. And we learned that the school, which had been an elementary school for black children, had previously had a garden on the site. The principal in 1903 had established a garden for children to grow food for their families. And we were really very honored to be carrying on that great tradition. 
people from the community worked in the garden starting in 2012 and we had a produce stand. In 2013, we started the West Broad Farmers Market to increase food access to the neighborhood, which has a poverty rate of over 60% and almost 90% for single mothers. There is a grocery store, as I mentioned, but in reality, it's a food desert for these residents because of their lack of transportation. We wanted to address the major obstacles to eating fresh vegetables, which are cost, accessibility, and knowledge of how to cook them. So at the market, we double SNAP dollars, which are food stamp dollars. So you get twice the amount of produce for your food stamp dollar. We have cooking demonstrations every week, and it's within walking distance of two public housing communities. We also, though, heard that a, there was a lot of interest from people in the neighborhood who made prepared foods and natural skin products and birdhouses and arts and crafts and, and other items that they wanted to sell. And supporting these micro enterprise owners with business education and a place to sell directly has been another big part of the market as has uh, been providing a place for beginning farmers to bring their produce to sell. So West Broad Farmers Market has so many aspects of it um, that, that provide opportunities for healthy food and, and just a sense of place in the neighborhood. And many of our programs have multiple goals and impacts, and I think it shows how much community needs and interests are interconnected. But to circle back to your question about how Athens Land Trust is addressing food deserts and how we can increase access to healthy foods, we have a farm share program for individuals and we deliver to businesses that have several employees who are describing. And food is so important to health. I mean, we could spend a whole hour on that. But I heard a doctor say that the three most health decisions we make every day are breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we are constantly looking for ways to get fresh produce to people. And for several years, we had a program called Market on the Move which was initiated and run by Jayco. And I would like for you to tell your listeners about it and how it came about. Yeah, so I actually happened to see a video on Facebook one day of how they were using mobile markets somewhere in Canada to address food deserts. And in this specific part of Canada, they were having a big issue with senior citizens who didn't have the physical ability to get to grocery stores in the area. So they were utilizing something called a mobile market where they would bring the fresh and affordable produce into the community that wasn't able to necessarily go there themselves to access it. And I was learning about food deserts in Athens in a lot of my classes at the time. And so I thought, well, this is something we could really utilize in Athens because there's a huge problem with food deserts, as you mentioned. And a lot of those food deserts are exacerbated by the lack of transportation in the area. There might be a grocery store that a lot of students or a lot of people in the area can easily drive to. But if you don't have a car, then you have to carry all your groceries or possibly spend hours switching bus lines from your home to the grocery store and back. 
And so I happened to talk to my cousin, Laurie, about this issue and talk to her about the mobile market and how I thought this could be brought into Athens. And she happened to be one of your best friends, which is how we got connected. So I proposed the idea to you and we were able to partner together and it was great because it was the first really big opportunity for the university to partner with the community. So I was able to apply for a grant through the UGA Office of Sustainability to fund the project and then have the leadership of the Athens Land Trust to help promote this in the community through all of the established connections that the land trust already had in different parts of Athens. So we were able to bring local produce that was grown by farmers in and around Athens and by people in the West Broad community. And we were able to take that produce into different areas of Athens that were considered a food desert. And we even had nurses come and do health screenings and cooking demonstrations. And it was really great to be able to bring students from the university out into the community to learn more about food deserts and really bring a solution to the problem. And it was great to be able to partner with the Athens Land Trust in that you guys were able to help a student have this idea. And I really encourage other students, no matter what college you go to, if you have an idea, then try to do it and talk to people around you because you really can make reality out of an idea that you have. And this is such a great example of one person taking initiative and making something happen that has a huge impact. I mean, we had been hoping to do that for years. We knew it was important, but hadn't had funding and Jayco got the funding. She staffed it and with uh, other volunteers, other students and, and made it happen. So thank you for that. Yes. Well, it was a great opportunity and it just food, I feel like can be something that a lot of people take for granted. If you can go to the grocery store as many times as you want and that's not a concern for you, then you might not think about it. But there's so many people out there who have no access to healthy food or little access to healthy food. And just to be able to do a cooking demonstration with little kids and see how excited they get about food really puts it into perspective for you. And circling back to the West Broad Farmers Market, I think it's amazing to think of what the principal would think if he knew that his vision was still being carried on all these years later. I'd like to think he'd be very pleased about it. So Athens Land Trust has focused on land conservation, affordable housing, and community agriculture. So what is Athens Land Trust focusing on now, and do they have any exciting new plans for the future? Well, yes, and I'm very excited about our focus on youth and connecting them to each of our programs. Since we protect land and provide affordable housing in perpetuity, we always have a long-term view. And youth are our future and we want to invest in them. And the West Broad community, which is still predominantly black, has a very high unemployment rate for young people. 
So to address this, we started three youth programs, the Young Urban Farmer Program, or YUF, known as Youth, the Young Conservation Stewards, and the Young Urban Builders, or YUB. Nonprofits do use a lot of acronyms. I think it's because we're moving so fast and talking so fast, trying to get everything done, that we take shortcuts. But the Young Urban Farmers Program began in 2013 to give uh, at-risk youth the chance to learn to grow food, to gain paid work experience, and explore entrepreneurship. So each class of young urban farmers uh, came up with several products that they made and sold at the West Broad Farmers Market. So over the years, these have included things like mushroom logs, birdhouses, herbal teas, hot sauce, pickles, and t-shirts dyed with natural dyes. So the young urban farmer who did the t-shirts now has his own clothing line. Another former youth has his own farm and is selling his uh, produce at the farmer's market. And still another is in college studying agricultural education. It has been really inspiring to see the cre creativity and pride of, of these youth over the years. The Young Conservation Stewards Program started last year and they have been removing invasives and planting native plants on county green space while getting paid employment and work experience. And the last program I'll mention is the Young Urban Builders, or YUB, as we called them. And these young people are learning construction skills while doing actual repairs on homes in the neighborhood. The program's funded by the county and the Candida Fund, and it has several benefits as well. The YUB are earning income and learning skills that will lead to future employment, and for some, have already. Um, the homeowners are able to get free repairs to their homes. In one case, the homeowner's water was turned off due to a plumbing leak that gave her a huge bill and rotted her bathroom floor. These long-term homeowners are able to stay in their homes, which is important for them and for the neighborhood as a whole. And the repairs also reduce energy and water use, which is good for everyone. So the YUB are also part of a county initiative to increase resilience of the West Broad neighborhood and other vulnerable neighborhoods that are more impacted by climate change. We're excited to be part of that intersection between um, public health and climate change and youth development um, that are going to be so prevalent in the coming years. And I think moving into the future, the youth really are the future. So for them to be aware of climate change and different problems and be empowered to know that they can have the solutions to these problems is so important. Yes, I think that the relationships that they are forming with the homeowners in their own neighborhood have been really important. And there's been a lot of wonderful intergenerational um, learning uh, being transmitted. For example, uh, Miss Ethel, who's in her late 80s, is one of the main gardeners at the West Broad Market. And she has always taken the youth under her wing and taught them what she knows and about healthy cooking. 
Um, quick to say that she cooked as, as a, in food service on campus and cooked for Herschel Walker, but she has a very strong belief about healthy food and how important it is to one's health. Wow. So since this podcast is all about hope, for the last question, I want to know what gives you hope? Well, I am always thinking about hope because I think hope is critical for us right now. Um, and many things give me hope, Jaco. Uh, many, many things. So this is kind of a long list. Um, but being with a first-time home buyer at the closer, closing of her home is really inspiring and hopeful. Seeing the diversity of vendors at, and shoppers at the West Broad Market. Um, seeing a young girl taste a cucumber for the first time and wanting to take one home to share with her family. Listening to a young conservation steward tell me about the results of the water quality testing he did on a stream in the neighborhood. Walking on protected land and knowing that 18,000 more acres are permanently protected. All the improvements in renewable energy in the building industry. It's so exciting that we now have net zero buildings and living buildings that produce more energy than they use. And seeing how far Athens Land Trust has come in the past 25 years, its impact on the region, how many people have embraced this vision and care about social justice in the earth. I mean, when we started the land trust, I had no idea that we would be doing all these things 25, 26 years later. These programs just evolved out of listening to the community and partnering with others. And they were possible due to the generous gifts of time and money from many, many, many volunteers and donors like yourself. And when I say we, when I'm talking about the Athens Land Trust, there are so many people who were involved in its success, more than I can possibly name. And I'm encouraged by other people of privilege who, like me, are becoming more aware of the inequities in our country and trying to do something about it. I feel if I don't try to do something to improve the situation, I'm letting it continue and I'm still part of the problem. And I'm encouraged that our local government is trying to be more equitable and inclusive and listening to the people who have traditionally not had a voice. And I, I think that more people are aware that poverty and inequity and systemic racism are huge issues that need to be addressed and that this is part of sustainability, as you said. And I'm hopeful because I see people getting involved and nonprofits are always in need of money and volunteers. And like you said, if you have a great idea and the willingness to get involved, take it to one of them or start your own nonprofit. And young people like you, Jaco, and you in particular, give me hope. Starting Market on the Move and doing this podcast and volunteering. And we need everyone, all hands on deck if we're going to successfully address the warming of the earth. And I think and hope that more people are realizing this every day. But finally, I'm, I'm hopeful because I think that people are more aware of the fact that the earth is, is our home. 
and we're dependent on it for everything we need to live. Water, air, shelter, food, work, resources. And decisions about using land determine how well or how poorly we respect it and care for it. And I really appreciate the indigenous people who had such an intimate relationship with the land they lived on. They valued and cared for the earth as their home rather than seeing it as existing to benefit them. And the land I live on was cherished by the Muscogee people and they called it the beloved land. And I really like the quote by Chief Seattle, the earth does not belong to us, we belong to the earth. So we are just guests on the earth. We're only here for a short time. And an acre of land is a particular piece of the earth with soil, trees, and water. And I want to learn from the earth and let it be as close to its natural state as possible. And I want to cherish this place that gives me life. Well, that was beautiful. And I really like that quote a lot that the earth isn't here just to serve us while we're here for this short period of time. You give me hope and the Athens Land Trust gives me hope in that you're addressing so many different aspects of sustainability. And I'm thankful that there's organizations like the Athens Land Trust out there who are really making a big impact on the community and the world in general. So thank you so much for all the work that you have done and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at Hopefully Sustainable Pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.